Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for checking out the Indie Handshake Wrestling Podcast. My name is Paul Ponte. I am joined today by the current 3X Wrestling Pure Wrestling Champion, the CEW Champion, the Six Star Booty, JT Energy. Man, there's so much fire and just passion in your voice when you said that. It gets me a little fired up and excited to do some talking and podcasting with you. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you being on. Uh, for regulars who listen to this podcast or watch it on YouTube will know, uh, we tend to stay in the California area, but we like to drift out a little bit once in a while. And we're doing that today. Uh, I believe you're from Iowa, correct? That is correct. Right smack dab in the middle, a.k.a. Midwest, no coast area. There you go. Uh, so I'm curious about uh, getting started in wrestling and more importantly, discovering the world of indie wrestling because everyone watches the big stuff. But then when you discover there's people doing, you know, tiny shows in front of five people in high school gyms and everything, then you start. That's where the fun for me begins. So how yeah, was that? Yeah. How was your journey that way? Uh, my journey into indie wrestling is almost non-existent when it came to uh, falling in love with professional wrestling. So throughout my life, I was introduced to your bigger promotions like your WWF, WCW, ECW. And I would say the first independent show I ever had a chance to go to is when uh, professional wrestling was brought to my local fair in my uh, hometown where I went to high school, which is Eagle Grove, Iowa. And the big name that was on the show was the Bushwhackers. And when I found out that professional wrestling was coming to the fair, I like lost my mind. I couldn't believe that like minutes down the road from like my job at Godfather's Pizza was going to be wrestling. And one of the things that made me the most mad that day is my supervisor would not let me off work early and it was dead. And I was so infuriated with her that she would not let me off wrestling because everyone knew how much I loved wrestling. Wow. And I got off and the thing that made me mad was I didn't get a chance to like uh, get an autograph from the Bushwhackers. I still ended up having a picture taken with them, but I wanted that that moment where I got to like meet them and just really have a second to meet a couple of like my heroes or people that I had seen on TV. And it was a fun little uh, show. Like they had a fake, a fake doink the clown on the show of course and our the crowd was just being real dicks they were calling him mm -hmm. doink the drunk um but they had a women's professional wrestling match they had a tag team match they had a singles match so it was everything that you could have for like a little basic indie spot show but past that i remember every now and then people saying things about independent professional wrestling and uh talking about independent professional wrestling but not on the level where I started having it on my radar, like when Ring of Honor started to get popular um, and when people started coming up like your Brian Danielsons and your Samoa Joes and your CM Punks. I feel like that's when the little uh, things of indie pro wrestling were starting to break into pop culture. Uh, like when MTV started to have professional wrestling on it, yeah, with then it was kind X. of yeah when wrestling society x came along and people in the independent professional wrestling scene had a chance to be on tv but not on the largest uh like the mainstream that's when 
I was like, whoa, I don't know who these guys are, but they solidified having X-Pac on there. So people were like, I at least know that guy. But they had guys on Wrestling Society X that were out there trying to kill themselves to get people to tune in. And it was fun for what MTV gave them. But past that, I don't think I had my chance to actually go to a real independent professional wrestling show until I knew that I was going to the Black and Brave Wrestling Academy. And when I moved to Davenport, Iowa, since I knew I was going to be joining the Black and Brave Wrestling Academy, they felt like the filler or the feeder system for SCW Pro, which is the local uh, the local pro wrestling affiliation, who at the time, Merrick Brave was one of their top uh, faces and their top names. So I went to a show, just wanted to shake his hand, saying, I'm going to be going to your wrestling school here in a couple of months. Just wanted to come out and see what the local competition looks like so I know what I'm getting my hands into. And SCW Pro was my very first show I ever went to. I brought my nice camera, took some cool pictures and posted them online because I just wanted to be a fan, but I also wanted to appreciate the wrestlers that I hope to wrestle someday. Very nice. And of course, the uh, the Black and Brave, uh, the Black would be Tyler Black, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Tyler Black, yeah. a.k.a. Mr. Seth Rollins. Yeah. That's, that's got to be interesting, too, especially because, you know, you go from like the fair where you're like, oh, look, it's the Bushwhackers. And, you know, this is, I'm assuming, in the in the 2000-something. So you're like, you know, oh, they, they're older. You know, it's fine. But then yeah. you know about, like, an indie wrestling school that's associated with someone like oh, Seth Rollins, where it's kind of like, oh, okay, so actually this isn't just, like, a down here and then that's way up there. Like, there's actually, like, a path you can visualize when you see something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think until we had uh, the gift of social media that I realized the venues that you could venture through to find your way into professional wrestling. And I know there's probably still some schools or training camps that give independent professional wrestling, uh, not necessarily the best name, but the amount of schools that are out there that really give professional wrestling a high caliber chance for the future is awesome. And I was lucky enough to be able to find one that was hours from where I currently lived and having it hours from me really allowed me to dig inside myself and take that leap, take that chance on myself and see someone on the level that he performed and say, you know what, if he can do it, why not? I give myself a shot. Let me see if I can do it. So I know, uh, based on doing some research, you have a background in dance, uh, before doing wrestling. So, and, and you obviously use that to your advantage in the ring as well to trick your opponents. But uh, uh, what's it called? Um, but I'm curious as to like when you start wrestling training, obviously the you're pro so you're probably good on the cardio aspect of it where it's like, OK, you know, I, I kind of I your body's built for your lungs are built to move for a long period of time. But, you know, bumps and all that is always difficult. But I'm curious about what helped you when it came to already knowing dance to wrestling, but also what was a hindrance? Like what were some habits that your old physicality doesn't match up with in wrestling and that you kind of had to work around? So I've had uh, many different things when it comes to dance uh, help me and hinder me. Um, some of the things that held me back, I feel like was in a way because I didn't know professional wrestling. I was really my body wasn't loose. It wasn't ready to accept the ring. It wasn't ready to accept the ropes and the mat and letting myself give my body 
to the ring and trusting it. Um, but being able to listen and think about how your body can hear a song and you can have musicality kind of enter your brain and your soul and let your body do what is natural and what you feel and what you can express really correlates into professional wrestling because it doesn't, uh, in independent professional wrestling, no matter what you think does or doesn't happen, if you're out there and a moment presents itself, it's up to the performers to seize it and make it something special. And that can be just like any great dance scene you've ever seen in a movie or a piece of choreography. Like uh, when Michael Jackson first did the moonwalk, he created that moment that everyone stood back and gasped and they couldn't believe that moment that was being created. And if you think of it and you go to an independent professional wrestling show, we're all trying to figure out what our moment is that night so that when you leave, you think about, whoa, but do you remember that thing that guy did or that girl did? And that's what we want to solidify because we want to get into your brain. We want to say, hey, we want you to talk about us. We want you to spread the word by a mouth. We want you to uh, search us on Instagram or Facebook or whatever it might be. Tell your friends, bring more. And when it came to dance, it's very important to think about what moves you, why it moves you, how you perceive it, how someone else might perceive it. And when you start thinking about music and dance and how you can use it as a creative medium, you can get really in depth just like you can in the world of independent professional wrestling. And I think that's really fun. The more that I do it, the more that I like sit back and I realize how much of it relates together. And the more that I like open my mind to the idea that they are really helping each other, the longer I do it, the better I feel like I'm getting when I'm having these matches because I'm listening to the fans, but the fans are really my music now and I'm mm -hmm. out there dancing in the ring. And yeah, there's a nice also correlation with like repetition. You know, you practice certain moves over and over again, whether it be dancing or wrestling and you kind of, your brain, the muscle memory is there. Like, the reason you have to take so many flat back bumps when you start off training is so that no matter what happens, if you start falling, your body knows when to correct itself and like land correctly. Because people who might have never stepped in a wrestling ring not, might not realize it's not just you fall down. Because what do you want to do when you fall down? You want to break your fall with your hands? And that is, don't do that <laughs> in the ring. That's not yeah. good. Uh, <laughs> um, but so... Now you're already talking about creating moments, feeling stuff. So now let's talk about crafting character. So I kind of get the feeling your character is like you ranked up to like a crazy high amount. Uh, so is that accurate or no? Yeah, I really think it is. Um, I think JT Energy is everything that I keep inside me let out all at once. And the great part is, is every time I think I've let all of it out is I find a deeper, sometimes darker layer uh, to enhance my character or enhance my next uh, movement or speaking mannerism. And it's really fun to look back and see the progression of what JT Energy has been to what he is now. Um, and I think a lot of people in independent professional wrestling 
should think of themselves on that progression timeline and never be afraid to change because characters are the most interesting when they change because it gives everyone who knows those characters a chance to look back and follow like a mental timeline. And they start to tell their own story about who that character is. And it gives you a chance to listen to the fans and react to the fans because they think they know what your character is. And that gives you a chance to use it as feedback to enhance your character to what maybe its next progression or step is. So that way you can be ahead of your own game that you're creating. So with JT Energy, of course, I thought he might be a little pompous or a little er a little arrogant. Um, but over time, I never thought I would take it to where I'm at now and be having the having fun with it the way that I am. Uh, but who knew that I was going to have a pandemic thrown at me and the world of professional wrestling would be on its heels trying to figure out how do we create our version of art right now uh, when the world isn't as open as it used to be. And that's the, that's the great part is so many people are forced into being creative. And this is where you can really see uh, the sea of professional wrestling get a little bit thinner because you can see the people that are really striving to make their version of art uh, really rise to the top during these times. And I think the fans are very receptive to this because I've almost seen more interaction with professional wrestling and the wrestlers that love it during this downtime because people are so interested into being there for the wrestlers and the promotions that aren't running but are still trying to keep them alive because they want them back so bad. Yeah. I think uh, I I was I said it on this podcast a few times, but I think the second like shows can actually run like really run like capacity run, I think there's going to be a lot uh, at least for a while. There's going to be some high ticketing because I think people are really clamoring to like get back and go and check out wrestling again. But did you always grab? Did you like from the beginning think that you were going to gravitate towards being a heel? Um, I didn't know if I was going to be a heel because as a person. I like to think that I'm kind of maybe quiet and nice if I don't know you. And the more I get to know you, the more I kind of open up and I'm a little bit more boisterous and excited. Um, and if I really get to know you, well, then like all bets are off and I can, I can be your real friend, um, which is a good thing and maybe a bad thing too. Mm -hmm. um, but when it came to the idea of who I was, the night that we did our first promos at Black and Brave Wrestling, I had this promo written out for who JT Energy was. And I, I, I stood there in the ring, of course, with my heart pounding. And I had my coaches looking at me. And they asked, are you a baby face or are you a heel? And I said, I don't know. Uh, and I started to like explain. And they were like, no, no, no. Just pick one and then read the promo how you think you should be. And I, I, my mind instantly said, no, you're a heel. Like you, this is deep inside mm -hmm. the stuff that this is the, the society doesn't clamor for. They don't accept. So everything that's inside you, use it to turn JT energy into what he really can be. And so I had this kind of scandalous double entendre really uh I, I there's a couple words in there and the way that i just uh let them roll off my tongue i said things uh of the nature like 
whether you want me in your thoughts or not, once I'm there, I'll never leave. Whether it's in your mind, your wife's mind, or your kids' minds, you can't take me away. And I said just something, and the way it was like sliding and slithering out of my mouth, watching uh, Colby's face, Seth Rollins' face, like turn and like almost grimace the way that I was saying things, I was like, that's it. That's my character. <laughs> if I can take someone on his level and deliver lines in a way that is getting a reaction from someone of a higher place who stood in front of people like Dusty Rhodes and Triple H, he knows that delivering is important, the way that you're going to talk and speak with conviction, whether it be in a good way or a bad way, because you have to be believable because if people don't believe you, they're just going to call BS on you. So I knew from that day forward, I was going to run with the heel persona of JT Energy. And I there's very few times that I've been uh, a, a baby face on a show, um, but I've tried it a couple of times and you can kind of tweak things, but I've never had a good, long, lengthy run of knowing uh, and being able to fight from with under and have a, have some really fun, good fire. So if the, if uh, you gravitated towards being a heel quickly, I'm curious about wrestling style. So when you first start, you know, taking bumps and doing things, what style did you picture yourself having and how did that evolve into what you ended up doing? Well, I grew up loving Jeff Hardy and the Hardy boys. They were like my team. Uh, they, they resonated with me so much from the way that they dressed to the way that they carried themselves. And the moment that I started to learn professional wrestling, I realized I am not going to be the Hardy Boys. <laughs> this stuff hurts way more than I thought. And I realized from there, I'm like, okay, let's maybe be smarter um, about how we're going to be working and throwing our bodies on this mat. So that's when I started to look at people that were much closer to the persona that I was trying to take on so I could look at mannerisms and uh, movements that they've used in the past that seemed to work for them on how they were getting crowd reactions based on the characters they were portraying. And as I did that, um, I started to find different things that seemed to help me along with how I was using my body in the ring, trying to find how I could incorporate dancing into my character in little bits and pieces where it made sense without being too over the top with it. And being able to look back at legends like Rick Rude and see how pompous they were from current day superstars like Dolph Ziggler that were trying to take that and ramp it up a lot of notches. It's very fun because even when you look at the big mainstream of like WWE and WWF, you do have a chance to look back and run across people you forgot about like in WCW there was a wrestler by the name of Kiwi oh, yeah. towards the end. And when I, when I ran across stuff of his, I was like, he was very underrated with how good of a worker he was. Oh, but yeah. He took, he took uh, the gimmick that he was almost given or he decided to run with, and it was perfect. He was so hateable, and he could put on really good matches with some of the best of them. And being able to look at someone like that and know that you can take an entertainment aspect and mix it with professional wrestling. I feel like I'm always always constantly learning. Uh, and even when I ran across people like Jimmy Jacobs, I was like, this guy really has his own thing that works for him. Being able to walk back into indie 
pro wrestling a couple years ago and come out as the zombie princess and people loved it and watching him wrestle uh people like uh, penta here in iowa for the wrestling revolver his match with jimmy jacobs was just amazing and the way that they both presented themselves in that match was just such a eye-catching spectacle that you couldn't be drawn to it and that's the kind of performer i want to be you don't have to know who i am but once you see me in the ring and you see me wrestling you're like i have to watch this guy i need to know more about him because i'm so engulfed with what he looks like and how he uh, portrays and carries himself yeah, I feel like uh, going back to the Kiwi aspect of it, I feel like WCW had quite a few guys that when you go back, you start to realize how good they really were. Guys like Norman Smiley also, where you're like, oh, like he wasn't just the wiggle guy. Like he's really good. <laughs> I love hearing um, old Chris Jericho or Lance Storm stories when they talk about going down to Mexico and working with Black Magic and how big a name that Norman Smiley was down there and how influential he was. But the most money he ever made in his life from professional wrestling was just going to WCW and just doing this stupid wiggle dance and being <laughs> ridiculous in the hardcore matches. It was so you over. Couldn't help, you couldn't help but love Norman Smiley. And he was doing the most ridiculous stuff week after week. And I think back, um, like as pro wrestling has evolved, it's so beautiful how there's a buffet of wrestlers for everyone. And I can fall in love with people like Matt and Jeff Hardy because of the way that they influenced my life or how I felt like I connected with them. And then 10 years later, I'm falling in love with someone like Santino Morella because he does something as stupid as the Cobra. Mm -hmm. And the year that I thought he was going to win the Royal Rumble, I would have lost my mind if he won the Royal Rumble and went to WrestleMania because everyone would have thought that year there's zero uh, there's one percent chance that santino could win but the one percent chance could have made the entire wrestlemania crowd lose it just on the near falls in that match because people would be asking themselves are they going to do it are they going to do the unthinkable and let santino win and that's the beauty of professional wrestling is you just never know what's going to work and that's the fun aspect of it is because you're always guessing because you can try to guess where they're going, but that doesn't mean they're going to go that way. Just like watching a movie, you think you have the ending picked out and then some directors really want to swerve it on you. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But when it does, it's really fun and cool and it makes you want to see a sequel or it makes you absolutely hate it. Mm. Yeah, I've, I feel like uh, people always complain about the too many false finishes now, too many, you know, towards matches. Mm -hmm. I really feel like it's not a false finish until you actually make me believe that it could have been over at that point. You know what I mean? Like, that's a real false yeah. finish. Like, a guy does one big move and they and they kick out. I'm like, that's not technically a false finish. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I really have to believe it. I have to be like, oh, that's it. What? That's when I'm, that's when I yeah. really need to be like, okay, that's awesome. I love stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Going going back uh, into the training aspect, I'm a little curious about uh, how old school was the training. Like, did you get like as the namesake of this podcast, the indie handshake, the little, you know, the the soft little hey? Did you get all that stuff? Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of brother brother type <laughs> stuff, but um, there's plenty of stories that uh, um, came along with learning to become a professional wrestler and 
I would say that they taught us the right way because they wanted to send us out into the world of professional wrestling, knowing we were going to walk into professional wrestling shows and people are going to ask, Hey, where were you trained? And we were going to say black and brave wrestling Academy and how we carried that statement and carried ourselves, not only from the moment we meet someone, but through the rest of the night till we say goodbye to that someone, if we have a chance to, that carries a lot. So they made sure that we were carrying ourselves to continue to um, build up the name of what black and brave wrestling is. And I've always taken that from day one is I knew I was signing up to a wrestling school, but I was also signing up to Seth Rollins wrestling school. And I always carry that with me somewhere, whether someone knows who I was trained by or not, I want them to look at me and go, I don't know who you are or where you were trained, but how you carry yourself in and out of the locker room, uh, helping set up, saying hello, uh, helping clean up afterwards, giving advice, being open to feedback. All those things are extremely important. After shows, thanking the appropriate people, doing the promotion before the show on your social media, making sure that you are earning your money's worth so that way people see value in you because that at the end of the day that's what it is it's value in the performer because promoters are trying to run shows to bring people in and the people have to see something and the people that are being seen are us and those people need to come for our entertainment and if we let them down it's their choice of a saturday or friday night that they came and they essentially bet on us to provide them with entertainment over, you know, uh, their local hotspot where they could have hung out with friends or had a couple beers or caught a movie or, you know, played in a sand volleyball tournament, who knows, but they chose us. And if we let them down, that can make them think a second time about whether they want to come back. And if someone says, Hey, it's a family friendly show, it's up to you to make sure that you deliver on that promise of family friendly, because if you think you're cool and you swear whether you mean to or not, and that detracts a family of five, that's five tickets there coming out of the promoter's pocket, which could have paid you a little bit more money or got you two or three more bookings down the road. Yeah. When it comes to promotion, I never understand every once in a while, cause I know quite a bit of, of indie wrestlers and sometimes I'll, they'll be worked on a show and like they won't mention the show until like the morning of and they'll be like on twitter be like doing this tonight and it's like don't you want people there <laughs> i'm so confused why you wouldn't promote the show you're going to be on i don't know but it's a little crazy uh yeah i want to talk a little bit about uh tag team wrestling former tag team wrestling champion uh for vicious and delicious i believe is the the name of the tag team um i listened yeah. to another podcast you did and uh, you you kind of we're waxing lyrical about tag team wrestling. You're like, oh, I felt like we could have done more. I felt like we could have done more with this. Do you see tag team wrestling in your future again? There's a part of me that uh, I love. I love the idea that I'm always on the verge of something I have no idea about, whether it be uh, turning babyface or entering back into a tag team or being part of a faction, any of that stuff is always so exciting to me because when you think you can be stagnant in professional wrestling, you're only limiting yourself based on what you've ever thought. And when you look at the broad spectrum of professional wrestling, 
it has almost endless roads that you can go down to create a story out of. And the people that don't want to be open to doing other things or avenues when it comes to professional wrestling, that's their own fault. Um, and I'm sure at a certain point I'll be like, ah, man, I've been JT energy for a long time and I just haven't been doing a whole lot, but that's okay. That's on me to decide and make those make those decisions and turn those factors into something that I can use as a positive. And if I want to try to look at someone and think, okay, that'd be a great tag team partner, or that'd be a great tag team story to play out. When me and Jossie came together and we became vicious and delicious, I, we never even thought of breaking up the, the story that progressed over time was the smart way to make us bigger stars than what our tag team was as a collective. And I think you see that out of a lot of the tag teams, but that's not necessarily the only way to go. You see people like the revival on AEW and their tag team through and through, and that is their end goal and always has been. And the young bucks, same thing. There's no avenue or aspect that isn't tag team wrestling, but even tag team wrestlers can have singles matches and that's where you can use your tag team to your advantage in the singles match because there's a story behind it. So I do get excited to think that there might be tag team wrestling in my future um, because when you find great chemistry, it's really fun to play around with. And it opens up a whole avenue of ideas for you to come up with and manipulate the different reactions that you can get out of a crowd. And I had a lot of really good years doing that with Jossie and having fun with Vicious and Delicious. Uh, and I thought our story with what we did with it was really great because year after year, when SCW would have their little end of the year voting for like match of the year or feud of the year, myself and Jossie, we were always at the top. And we always took that with pride because we knew we didn't think, oh, we're so good that, of course, we're going to get voted. We knew we were so entertaining that the stories that we were bringing with us and the people that we were involved with were so engulfed in it. We were good at what we did, and we still pride ourselves on that. Um, when we get a chance to ever catch up or talk to each other about what our version of professional wrestling and our careers have become, I mean, neither one of us can shut up. We're just, we love to talk. We have so many ideas about where we are right now and where we want to go. Very nice. Uh, speaking of uh, playing to crowds and working with crowds, you had a chance to, uh, you've had a couple of chances to be in front of some pretty big crowds doing some WWE stuff uh, when it came to either being an extra or actually being in the ring. Uh, you had a, a nice little moment with uh, Eric Rowan uh, and. I'm curious about that in, but I'm also very curious about it in in kind of the weird minutia of it. Like, so you show, so you get the call, you can, you, you're going to be used, right? You're probably hanging around all weekend, I'm assuming. That's usually what happens. And then you get used. What is your impression of the backstage? Like, the massive catering that they supposedly have, this crazy, like, insane spread. Like, all the, like, little weird, like, oh, shit there's that guy oh there's that guy there's that guy and obviously you've been you you've been hanging around seth rollins so you're not going to be starstruck but seeing the the giant well-oiled machine in person what's that like it's the best it's the best experience every time it never gets old um at least personally for myself because 
being able to be a WWE extra, you just you first and foremost, you get to be backstage, whether it's in a very small room for extra talent or not. I never have cared where I've been told to dress because even on WWE's level, it's it's still the hierarchy. You're still building your way up and you're part of a show. And it's a very nice environment. And where I was trained, I've learned to carry myself to be around those people. And by the last time that I was doing it, I've only done it a couple of times, but you show up and you know you're part of the show and you carry yourself like you're part of the show. So when you see people, yes, interact with them, say hello, head nods at the times, handshakes or whatever. Like uh, a lot of the WWE superstars understand that new extra talents there every single night. And those people are trying to live their dreams just like all of them did. And some people take two seconds out of their day to really like stop and interact with you. And you realize, wow, you didn't have to do that. The people that have the gratitude inside of them at least do that. And whoever I had a chance to interact with, um, some of the people up there, like the referee, um, he's been doing a lot of production too, Jason Ayers. I did not know him at all. And after the first time I was there, I felt like somehow he was like my long lost friend because he was so like nonchalant around us that I was like, I don't know who this guy is, but he's just, he's so nice and he's so cool and he's so gracious. And those people make you feel so comfortable when it comes to being a WWE extra talent that every time you get to step into the arena, sure, your heart gets racing, you get excited because you know you're going to see some of today's WWE superstars. Um, but the people that I've been around, I was lucky enough to go with a couple groups. They had already done it. And it's the same thing. Like we always get so excited. They always have bomb catering. And it, it if you're going to be there, as long as you're not being ridiculous and like taking the superstars food <laughs> and you're just taking your small portions, um, it's the best part um, a lot of times. I mean, I get to sit around, eat really they have so many options that it's it's healthy. I get healthy, nutritious, great, good food. I get to watch professional wrestling, be around the greatest professional wrestlers in the world. And then there's a chance that I'm going to be involved in some story in some way, aspect or form, whether it be security, a conga line, medical staff, um, a wrestler on the show. You just never know. And that's the beauty of it is you're walking into every experience, trying to be ready, thinking that, Today, someone could get their eyes on me and I could make a lasting impression uh, just like James Ellsworth did. And it shot him to the moon. Did you, uh, when you worked with Jerry Lawler uh, on the indies, did you, was that before or after the WWE thing? It was, a, uh, I worked at CEW with him just a couple weeks after I had had my match with Eric Rowan. He was there that day and I saw him in catering. And I almost thought about going up to him and saying, hey, King, I'm going to wrestle you in a couple weeks and introduce myself. But at the same time, I've always heard in every interview ever that when someone's eating, just don't interrupt them. It's not worth it. You'll never have their full attention. And I thought to myself, I'm like, nah, I'm not going to do it. It's not worth it. I'm going to see him in a couple weeks, and it's going to be one of the best days of my life anyway. So why chance it right now? Yeah, how is that uh, working with him? I mean, 
it's so interesting that like you know your first indie well your first kind of taste of the indies was like the bushwhackers guys from like you know this like era of like everyone's childhood and then now you're wrestling someone who's like you know the voice of basically everyone's childhood is around our age uh watching raw so what was that like and you know how did that you know how was interacting with him before the match all that stuff it was really neat um to be able to think that i was going to be in there with such a performer my favorite thing about jerry lawler and the aura of jerry the king lawler that has come about his story over the years is just how much of an entertainer in the memphis area that he was and memphis wrestling is is its own breed and style of wrestling which is really fun it's much different than a lot of other stuff but that's what made me excited about it because i knew some of the history and what kind of performer the king was and i knew i could use that to my advantage being such a character when it came to JT energy versus such a already built up amazing baby face in Jerry, the King Lawler. So coming into the match, I, I told myself that I'm going to have a couple ideas X, Y, and Z. Um, and then when it comes time to, you know, figure out where we're going to go with the story and um, lay things out, I wanted to be able to plead my case to what I thought was best for the scenario to make everyone look great and send the CEW crowd uh, home as happy as possible at the end of the day. And I think him being so receptive and respectful, but also making sure that we went with, you know, what the mind of a WWE hall of famer could come up with. I thought to myself, absolutely. This will make perfect sense. And the chemistry that we had that night was just off the charts. I, in my wildest dreams out of all the action figures I've ever had in my entire life, never once did I think Jerry the King Lawler would be the guy I'd have a chance to wrestle someday. Um, sure, some of the more active guys you dream of wrestling, those, uh, you know, your Bret Hart's Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, Diesel, Razor Ramon, the people that I grew up on, I never looked at the Jerry the King Lawler action figure and said, man, I bet I wrestle this guy someday. But that's what it turned into, and it was awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm curious too. Uh did he have any words after the match? You know, like he knows that you're he knows that he's he is he's a Hall of Famer, you know, he is who he is, and you're you know, you're a dude on the indies. Did he have any like, you know, hey kid, great job, or like any like feedback or like anything that he said afterward that like stuck with you? Yeah, um his feedback, um, it was short and sweet. And that's exactly what I wanted because I didn't want some long paragraph that I would be like thinking to myself the next day, like, Oh my God, I don't even remember what the King said because he said so much. He just gave me one or two quick things to focus on. So that way I could learn to control things a little bit better when it came to the pacing of what you can do with a independent professional wrestling match. And to be honest, that's one of the hardest things that, I still continue to try to pride myself on because when you understand the time that you do have and what you do with that time, you can really maximize what you're doing and be efficient with the, the reactions that you're trying to really gain from what you're capable of doing in that ring. And Believe me, if you watch that match on YouTube, me and Jerry the King Lawler, we don't do a ton of stuff in any way, shape, or form when it comes to what you might call a spot in independent professional wrestling. But 
just being able to be in there and feel what the crowd wanted for that night is awesome. I, I feel like we knocked it out of the park and having that crowd just hate me with all their guts was one of my proudest moments. And how about with uh, Eric Rowan? What was he uh, like as a person to go over the with before? I mean, obviously, you know, uh, I thought what, what was cool was uh, they gave you the kind of the candy cane stick to do. So you got a little bit more character work to do than than a lot of enhancement talent who's there to basically get steamrolled on a TV show. You know what I mean? So, you know, what was that interaction yeah. like? Uh, he's a great guy. I have nothing bad to say about him. Um, I'm hoping that here down the road, I actually run into him again. Uh, fingers crossed. Maybe not. I'm not sure. He's a big guy and still is. Um, but Eric Rowan was really fun to work with uh, in, a, in the most painful way. Um, we had a lot of fun there as far as telling the story, enhancing his uh, cage story that he was telling on Monday Night Raw at the time. And I was, I was so grateful that the week that I got to do it was that Christmas episode because the Christmas episode itself is already so over the top in some aspects. And I was able to be one of the over the top segments where it was like, really like that guy's got candy canes in his trunks, (laughs) but being able to stop and make someone go, really? That's, that's my moment. That's what I used. And that gave me that opportunity to make people pay attention to me for 30 seconds before Eric Rowan started to go to town and really lambast me on TV. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I maximized the efficiency of pulling out the candy cane, presenting it to him, sliding out of the ring, pulling out the rest of the candy canes, slowly walking over to the cage before he came out of nowhere. And I was so proud at the speed that I went, thinking to myself that I'm on TV no one is going to tell me to go faster. And if they do, I know I've overstayed my welcome. So I was very happy with it. And so many people tuned into TV on USA and were screenshotting their TVs and sending me screenshots and stuff like that, that it was really cool that people got to see Travis Horn wrestle that night. So I'm still waiting for the debut of JT Energy (laughs) on WWE or AEW TV. But Travis Horn had his moment in the spotlight that night. Yeah, and it was great too because because it was like you know the long drawn out you know you're you're going away from him you're walking up to him slowly a lot of prime moments for nice camera close ups directly on the face I know afterward you're like yeah that looks good I like that look right there uh, and man I couldn't believe how many people were sliding into the YouTube comments being like who's this Christopher Daniels ripoff yeah and then saying, I find- it looks like a thin Christopher Daniels I'm like first of all Christopher <laughs> Daniels was young once okay he he wasn't fat when he was younger. He's not fat now, honestly, (laughs) like, so whatever. I found a really cool screenshot of like, uh, he was almost in the exact same position of when they put my lower header on raw and I like put it over the top. And I was like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Me looking like Christopher Daniels and we look almost exactly (laughs) alike except the tattoos. Yeah. But it, it was so funny. And you know, if I ever run into, uh, AEW down the road and I get a chance to, you know, shave my head and stand next to Christopher Daniels, I'd be like, I don't know what they're talking about, man. <laughs> I have to ask about uh Kaiju Attack Wrestling. I'm curious about Ooh, that. Yeah. I'm curious about that, how you got involved in that, what that was like. Um, so that was I only had a chance to wrestle for Kaiju Attack one time. I was lucky enough that one of my fellow black and brick graduates, Valentina Loca, had worked there a couple times. And they were bringing in um, a mixed tag group 
uh, to work there. And she uh, asked if I wanted to be her tag team partner and make a debut. And I thought to myself, heck yeah, absolutely. Um, because I had seen and heard great stuff about how fun their shows were and being able to go there that night. Um, and it was like an 18 plus audience. So uh, the crowd was rowdy and we were rowdy right back. It was very fun. It was worth the like three and a half hour uh, drive that we made there and back. But Kaiju Attack Wrestling was very fun. Being in a mixed tag with Valentina Loca was also really fun. It gave me an aspect of a new story that I didn't have a chance to tell. So it was fun to be like an edgy baby face for a night because I was still, I mean, I was a good guy. You wanted to cheer for me. But at the same time, the words that were coming out of my mouth were 21 plus. So, yeah. Shades of gray. You know, that's the the face yeah. and heel thing is more shades of gray these days. So, you know, it's fine. Uh, all right, brother. Uh, I now am going to bring it to the take it home segments. Uh, this is going to be a list of questions here. Feel free to take as long as you want on them. Uh, feel free to digress and just respond to them basically however you feel like. Uh, starting with this. If Andre the Giant is the eighth wonder of the world, who are your seven wonders of the wrestling world? Oh, man. Okay. Uh, seven wonders of the wrestling world. Yeah, not and in order. Andre's the eighth. Yeah, not sure. in order. Just, you know. I just got I got to use my fingers here and make sure I don't overcount. There you um, go. Okay. Well, let's see. I would have to say that one of the wonders is not China, um, but I would probably have to say someone like Charlotte is on that list. Because when it comes to women's professional wrestling, no matter what anybody says at the end of the day, I bet she's going to be the one that's talked about the most. Becky Lynch had a great year, and she really rose what women's professional wrestling was. But I bet at the end of the, end of the story, people are going to look back and talk about Charlotte just almost on the same level they talk about Rick. And Rick is also on that list. Rick and Charlotte have to be on that list because of what professional wrestling is. Um, now I would also have to say, I'm going to go with wrestle dad. I'm going to say Seth Rollins is on that list. I think he's uh, right up there for the things that he has done for the independent level of professional wrestling, but also taken what WWE is and helped that style. Um, and one of his major influences was Shawn Michaels, who will also be on that list. Um, and Shawn Michaels made me fall in love with not only performing, but just the, he, he did such a good aspect of being the boy toy and making me think growing up, like women like him and he like, prances around but he's also the wwe champion so like i want to be the champion but he also is trying to get the girls at the top um by taking off his trunks and you know showing his butt crack and stuff like that so that was always very entertaining to see where, how he went from something like that and then rode the wave of emotions into his amazing match with like the undertaker at wrestlemania um i will have to say jeff hardy is going to be on my list because of what he has done for me 
and um, what he has done for so many people um, when it comes to looking inside yourself to figure out what you want to be and letting like your emotions speak through art. And that's always been something I've taken from Jeff to try to put into the world of professional wrestling through my eyes and how I see it. Um, and one of my major influences when it comes to how I think about how I dress and present myself would be the macho man, Randy Savage, who would be my sixth on my list. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of like white bread here because I'm all within the WWE realm and uh, what I follow. And, but that's what my life has been. That's what I've grown upon. And that's what has shaped me as a professional wrestler. Um, there's some absolutely amazing people that have come from AAA and new Japan and independence all across the world, AEW British wrestling. And there's so much more. Um, but if I had to fill in, one more person to round out this list. You know what? As much as I hated him, he has shaped everything that the WWE is now. And that's probably Triple H. Triple H has used his vision and his life experiences to try to make wrestling better for us coming from a performer's perspective but also seeing the business perspective from what he kind of married into and what he's always loved um and you know it's no coincidence that he learned from people like Shawn michaels and have gotten into this business and helped create things like nxt which brought people like seth rollins to fruition but he's also seen people um, from Japan, um, from Mexico, and some of the best talents in the entire world and said, let's bring them to NXT because this is where our hardcore fan base that has loved independent professional wrestling is jumping into WWE and seeing if those talents can adjust not necessarily from what independent professional wrestling is, but to what sports entertainment and a television show for millions of viewers is um, because that's what they're trying to do is create a product. And I know a lot of people kind of cry about WWE and what it's, what it's, what it is now compared to maybe what it was at a certain time when you loved it, but that's because they have to try to create so much so fast week in and week out in the monster machine that they are that when you see people like Matt Riddle riding around on a scooter, you know he's one of the best wrestlers going today, but you also know he's entertaining. And he loves doing that stuff. And if he didn't, he wouldn't be doing it. He'd be crying and going home and finding a place like AEW to work, which some people do. You see people like you know, Dean Ambrose, who turned to John Moxley and he took a chance on himself. And now he's exactly what he wanted to be in the world of professional wrestling after getting his feet wet in WWE for years and learning from those people um, and then taking it and maximizing the efficiency to make all the money he does now. So if I were to pick out seven wonders in my world of professional wrestling that I'm going to look back someday and go, these people, they really did it for me. I think that's where I stand. I'm sure it could change from day to day. Um, and I could look 
or think tomorrow like, ah, damn, I can't believe I didn't say that guy or I didn't say that girl or I didn't say that tag team. Like, but you know, that's the beauty of thinking about things on the spot. It's just like calling, uh, listening to a crowd, thinking about a match. Like you just got to react on the fly and see what the world brings you. Yeah, I always love like, especially on the spot thinking, because sometimes that'll bring you names that you wouldn't normally have thought of. I remember somebody asked me like my Mount Rushmore of like wrestlers that like got me to love wrestling. And I remember like out of nowhere, I was like, ah, Ultimo Dragon. I was like, I, I like would never have even thought to say Ultimo Dragon. But I was like, when I think back of my time watching WCW, like who was the guy that every time he was in the ring, I was like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And I was like, and it was always Ultimo Dragon. So, you know, sometimes you, your brain surprises you when it's meant to think quickly. So, yeah, uh, you talked a bit about uh, traveling for wrestling. Do you have any favorite road stories involving wrestling? Oh, um, nothing. I don't know if I've, I've been lucky that nothing too, uh, crazy has happened. Um, there's been a couple long trips, but I would say the only one that really like stands out to me is kind of just like a out there moment. Like, I can't believe I saw that. And it was on the way to professional wrestling is I was, uh, driving with, uh, two other guys in my car. We were going to a organization in Illinois called Zawa. And uh, we, it was just, you know, going to have fun on, I believe, a Saturday and do some wrestling. And I was only driving like an hour and a half, maybe an hour away. And we're driving down the interstate. And this guy passes us on the left-hand side. And as he passes us, he like, I like look ahead. And it seems like his car all of a sudden like kind of loses control. And it all of a sudden swerves off into the ditch. And we're all like, I'm losing my mind. I'm like, whoa, what's going on? And I like slam on the brakes and pull off to the side real quick because he went down the ditch and then like slid and went all the way back into these bushes, like by where these trees were. And I get out of the car. We all get out of the car. We like run up to him and his car's like not on fire. It's not exploding or anything. And he he's in the car and he like opens his door and I'm like, are you okay, man? And he's like, yeah, no, I'm good. And I'm thinking to myself, like, are you good? Or are you just like in shock? Um, but he's not bleeding. He doesn't seem too out of it in any way, shape or form. And it was the middle of the day. So I didn't think like he was high or drunk. But I was like, do you want us to call 911? Do you want us to call the police? And he's like, no, no, I think I'm just going to call my dad. And I'm like, okay, man, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. And I'm like, okay, we just wanted to make sure you're safe. And then we all just walked back to our car and then just drove to the show. And we're all thinking like, man, did we really just see that guy fly off the road and almost like <laughs> slam into some trees? And then he just said he was going to call his dad. Um, but that was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in a car on the way to professional wrestling. And thank God that guy was okay. And I, in my head, I'm like, as I was pulling over, I'm like, I'm going to run up on this guy. It's going to be like a movie. His face is going to be like pouring blood and his arm's going to be hanging off. And I'm not going to know what to do because I'm not a medic. I've only played one on WWE TV. <laughs> but it, it, it's the crazy stuff like that, that traveling across the world, you'll just run across and you'll have stories for the rest of your life to tell each other. And that's the fun part of pro wrestling is when you get a bunch of guys talking um, because you just share so many road stories about the insanity that you've seen or experienced. You just start deferring to WWE speak. You know, do you want me to take you to a medical facility? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know where it's at, but I'm sure I can Google it. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite move or hold that you do not use? 
my favorite mover hold that I don't use. There's, I, I fell in love with someone like Kevin Nash because he did the power bomb and it looked so cool when I was a kid. And I'm just not a power bomb kind of guy. Every time I think that I could do it, it just doesn't make sense. It's never made sense for my character. If there's any time that um, I would ever do it, like maybe someone's giving me a 10 punch in the corner and I grab them and I do it at, like that, but it's never like with force, like a Batista bomb. Mm. And a power bomb has all, always been like one of the most powerful moves to me when I've seen it performed, whether it was a jackknife power bomb or the Batista bomb, or like when even Ahmed Johnson did like the, the Pearl River plunge, which is underrated move. Of like, yeah, exactly. It's like a bomb. And I've always thought that was so cool. But whenever I came to wrestling, I'm like, this doesn't make sense for me. And anytime I try to convince myself that a power move like that should be in my repertoire, I always think like, okay, what happens the day that I'm wrestling someone that's 275, 300 pounds, and I'm supposed to win with my finish. And I go, uh, am I really going to hit a power bomb on you? Probably not. And I want to be safe when it comes to the world of professional wrestling. So I just stick to my finish, which is the scissors kick. And rarely does that ever fail when it comes to working with anybody and everybody. What's the uh, craziest fan interaction you've had? Um, does it have to be a fan with me or just a fan interaction that I witnessed? It could, it could be any. Okay, um, I'll tell the PG version of my favorite fan okay. story that involve that involves Merrick Brave. Um, so, getting into professional wrestling in Des Moines, there's a Latino festival that they have wrestling every year. And the year that I was making my debuts in wrestling, Merrick Brave was the main event, and his character is a fashionista. So he's a very pompous, over-the-top kind of guy. I, I took a couple of influences from him when JT Energy was trying to figure out who he was. But I remember before the match started, he's like um, jaw-jacking with the fans when he comes out. And some guy's like, oh, I can beat you up. And he's like, yeah, you can you? And it, he like does the whole like open the ropes and the fan out of nowhere like comes through the guardrail and who the people are doing security like not good not smart and you could tell immediately he's like you don't want to do this if i was you i would really get back you don't want to step any closer because professional wrestling is defend yourself when someone gets too close and i'm watching this guy and then all of a sudden he hops up on the ring apron and then all bets are off Fists start flying, and then it's like the rage within inside Merrick Brave started to become real. And then this guy's friends are like, oh, we have to save our friend. And we're like, nope, you don't want to do that. And it's this fan-wrestler interaction that got out of control. And the verbal things that were coming out of his mouth and the fan's mouth uh, got enough of a commotion going uh, where the police came. And the police were like, Merrick Brave, you can never come back to the Latino Festival ever again. <laughs> and in my head, I'm like, you guys will never remember if this guy comes back ever again in the first place. And to be honest, it was that guy's fault, not Merrick Brave's. But the interaction and the things that were going on in that scenario and watching that fan actually walk through this little shindy guardrail, I was like, 
oh god this is going to be the worst thing i've ever seen in professional wrestling but it was it was crazy that the guy got like punched in the face 10 times before he even knew what happened and then all of a sudden his best friend was in a full nelson by some other wrestler and <sighs> indie wrestling is crazy if you're yeah. a fan stay a fan it doesn't matter how many beers you have just go tell someone they're an awesome wrestler don't think that you can take them because even if you think you're going to get a good story out of it the story is going to be from the police because you're going to get arrested every time yeah um in all walks of life uh when we work with people there's things they can do that can can irk you can get you annoyed uh what are some of the worst things someone could do if you're working with them in a match uh you cannot have if you don't know how to emote it's the worst thing in the world because if you're working with someone who doesn't know how to emote uh whether you're on the good or the bad side of what the world of professional wrestling is whoever you're in the ring with guess they they now get to work twice as hard to make sure that um, you make something out of nothing. So when it comes to things like that, that's extremely annoying to me. But it's also some of the best learning experiences when it comes to uh, professional wrestling. And it's also when people are afraid to, they're afraid to experience professional wrestling in the ring and not live in the moments that we're creating it's it's important to stop and turn moments into a bigger moment just by giving it time to let it breathe and some people just want to go 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 and there's a time and a place for that but some people think it's the whole match and it's not the whole match it never should be the whole match because those people are going ooh and ah and ah and you have to you have to you have to soak those moments in because any of those sounds those people are making can always be bigger. The reaction can always be bigger. It's how long or how you've cultivated that reaction that did you get the most out of it. And when people have never got those reactions or tried to wrestle a different way to cultivate a big ending to a match the way it really can be, that's the type of stuff that I want people to kind of stop and think upon um also making sure that your entrance matters uh, there's a, so many times when i see new professional wrestlers that are debuting on shows and they like they come out and they go come on and then they just get in the ring and i'm mm -hmm. like what are you doing like these people have never ever seen you each side of the ring has fans they've never seen you they need to know who you are, why you look this way, what your mannerisms are, how you carry yourself. Do you know if there's a photographer there? Good God. Walk to the photographer in some way, shape, or form. Stop for three seconds. It'll feel like 10, but if you stop for three seconds, you will get a shot that you can use on your social media for months. And people will go, whoa, man, you look like a professional wrestler because you let someone do their job. And that's so important that when people realize that you're working for the fans and the people that can't come to the show, but they want to come to the show, if you have good video clips and pictures of yourself, guess what? Now you're a bigger presence to them because they don't know what you are. They're just cultivating this image in their mind. So realize 
the small stuff is the most important stuff and just soak in every ounce of what the moments are. That's the best part of professional wrestling. It's not whether you got to hit a power bomb or a pro river plunge. It's whether the grandma in the front row is flipping you off after the match mm-hmm. or not. Uh, when's the time you were legitimately surprised by someone in the ring? Uh, maybe it was um, someone that you never worked with before and you just found yourself like, oh, wow, we have instant chemistry. This is insane. Or anything along those lines. Jerry Lawler. Man, I I, I, ne- I did not think that being able to work around the work around the ring the way that we did would have gone as smoothly for as long as we did in that match. And the small amount of stuff that we did, how well it worked at that time period, it was it was so fun to me. Um, and things like that are just those are my favorite moments because you build up these uh, ideas of what's going to happen and it, it works out. It's so cool. Uh, it was the same feeling uh, when I had a chance to uh, wrestle uh, Billy Gunn. I had built up the idea of Mr. Ass for so long, and he's such the, such a huge gentleman that when I got to be in a tag team match with him and just letting the crowd react to both of us in the ring, we didn't have to touch each other. We barely had to do anything, and we had them just screaming for stuff. And that's what pro wrestling can be. You have to get people biting their lips, waiting for something to happen, and then giving it to them just a little bit at a time. So that way, as you build on each additional thing, it means so much more and people get so much more excited for that false finish that you finally bite on and jump out of your seat and go, oh, he got me. I thought that was it. And being able to learn from those people and the things that they're teaching you usually they're not even saying they're doing it and they're just waiting to see if you pick up on it to make yourself a better professional wrestler uh out of the people you've worked with who has the hardest chop um i think (laughs) to be honest i bet it was trevor murdoch trevor murdoch lit me up four times in a row each buckle i walked to and i think the first one stung and by the time i realized i was getting a second i i didn't know if my chest had any more nerves left in it (laughs) um and i took two more after that and i was just like oh man i didn't know a chop could be hit so hard and a good chop is where i like think my chest is okay. And then like three or four days later, I realize I have like a blood blister on my chest that I couldn't see because of my tattoo. And I realized there's like scabbing there. And I'm like, I didn't know I got hit that hard, but yeah, Trevor Murdoch, he, he laid him in, but I mean, that's the thing. He only gave me four chops and that's all he had to do. And that crowd lost their mind because they can hear it. They audibly know what a chop is. And when you can get so much out of so little, that's the best way to just start a match because they see one guy crying and they see the other guy looking strong by doing the simplest thing that they can uh, yell woo to because we've all been accustomed to it because of Ric Flair. And, you know, it's it's a fun interactive thing that you can get a lot of miles out of. 
Uh, have you had any experiences, uh, hopefully not, where uh, someone in the ring, maybe it was someone who was just crotchety older veteran, maybe, uh, someone who tried to take advantage in the ring a little bit and you had to kind of peg them back a little bit, like, hey, man, <laughs> let's calm this down, anything like that. Get anyone working a little too snug for your taste? Nah, there was never a time where like I got punched or anything that was too snug or like I was really getting my ass handed to me. Uh, there was one time that I put someone in an abdominal stretch and they didn't feel like I had put it on correctly. And then before I knew it, I was in an abdominal stretch and they were saying, no, this is how you do it. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I thought I was in control of the match. And then all of a sudden I had the move switched on me and goes, no, this is how you do it. Let's see you scream. And I was like, what is going on? I thought I was working together with you. And then after the match, like, I just realized he was having some fun and, it was it wasn't in like uh you know he wasn't trying to be mean about it or anything and he understood what we were doing and the way that we were telling the story and it's just we didn't have the chemistry that was meshing together at that time so he took it upon himself to just make make the most out of a moment and at the time i was really taken aback like man i can't believe you, like you would do that to me but at the same time i was like i'm i'm the jackass in the ring that nobody wants to cheer for in the first place so it doesn't matter if uh, I, I get th things switched on me, it's not like he uh, meant to like hurt me or, you know, scar me or anything like that. Has a booker tried to stiff you on money? And if so, what are some fun excuses as to why? Nah, I've been really lucky. Uh, the only time that I ever didn't get uh, any money or anything of that nature was I think once someone had the cash box stolen and it was really early on in my career. So it was like, hey, this time we can't get you, but next time we'll we'll make sure to get you double. And I was like, okay, I trust you. But for the most part, I've always been really good about asking for X amount of pay and always getting that pay. And a lot of times if someone can't do that, uh, they try to compensate in some way, shape or form to make sure other people are always taken care of. So I've never had too bad of a story where I need to light a promoter up or slander them online. Mm -hmm. Uh, what's the hardest you've laughed at an indie show? Um, the hardest I've ever laughed at an indie show. Um, I'm probably already overthinking this. Um, I, I bet the hardest I've ever laughed at an indie show is the man scout, Jake Manning at pro wrestling revolver had quite the feud going on with the tent so the tent that he brings to the ring had become the champion. So we had a champion that was just a thing. Um, and watching Jake Manning and people in a match at Pro Wrestling Revolver in a scramble match try to factor in a camping tent into a match where there was actual pinfalls that people were biting on was amazing and seeing someone get thrown into a tent and then someone landing on the tent and pinning the tent to become the new champion was one of the funniest things i think i'd ever seen because people love the idea of believing the most ridiculous stuff to enhance the story that we were trying to tell that's why i love wrestling wrestling could be the most ridiculous shit you've ever seen and is if it works it works 
Like I've had we I had a guy on here, uh, Anton Voorhees, and he talked about a whole you know he's had like multiple like lava matches, where you know they they duct tape an X in the ring and they're like they have to stay on the on the tape otherwise it's lava and you know they're like selling the, oh, oh and the crowd just eating and finally someone falls in the lava and the crowd erupts they're like ah and I'm like wrestling's the craziest shit ever and that's why it's the best. Uh, that's amazing. You see a lot of uh, gimmicks in wrestling. What's one of the worst gimmicks you've seen? Hmm. One of the worst gimmicks. I don't know if I've ever... I think some of the gimmicks that I've seen since I've become a professional wrestler, I think a lot of them are actually really good. I just don't think people know how to, how to maximize them yet. And I think that's, that's the beauty of a gimmick is you can always find a way to build it up and try to figure out a way to get some mileage out of it. Um, I'm not throwing shade. I did see a guy, he tried to be um, like a rugby player and it just didn't seem to connect every time I saw it. Mm. He was athletic, which was great, but I don't think like the American crowd from the Midwest just could bite on the idea of what a rugby player was. And it's hard to get behind it also um, because I think we associate rugby with other countries that if you see someone from the U.S., who, if you speak to them outside of the show, they don't have an accent. But then yeah. when they portray the character, they do have an accent that it's hard to make everybody bite on it unless it's over the top funny where people can get behind how bad your accent is because then it's like almost a parody of itself. But if it's portrayed as more of a serious thing, it just didn't seem to like um, have the mileage out of it that I wanted to see out of it. But then I saw the character start to transition into a heel character. And then I saw that person completely shed the character into a new character that they became. And the first time I saw it, I was like, I didn't get the character. And then when I saw them evolve as a person and a performer to figure out who they ultimately wanted to be in pro wrestling, I was like, see, now you get it. You almost have to start with um, something you're uncomfortable with to figure out what works and what doesn't to ultimately grab and find the thing that will lead you to a bigger, better pay window and more people being involved into your stories. And uh, what about any uh, overused gimmicks or gimmicks? I mean, and by this, I mean like gear, uh, any overused or stuff that just kind of irks you like for me. And I'll give an example. And it's the one I always give, which is uh, if you wear kick pads, and you don't throw kicks, drives me up a wall. Uh, anything like that? Yeah. Um, the kick pads are probably the number one thing. And that's just because the era of pro wrestling that we're in right now, I think people can be smarter about what they are wearing out there because it's, it's important that you look unique. And if people don't think there's unique things that you can wear in pro wrestling or different materials you can use or ways that you can accentuate yourself they're just being lazy 
it's the laziest thing in pro wrestling to watch someone not dress like it's WrestleMania. Even if it's on an indie level, you can tell someone who's starting in pro wrestling how much they care about their outfit based on how much time and effort they put into their presentation of what they wear. And even if you're like a cut and dry wrestler like a Timothy Thatcher, you still can make your outfit mean something if you present it in a certain way. So there's a lot of people that I just, they're, they're too lazy. Um, and I also think it's important to look at your body shape and understand what clothes fit you better and use those to your advantage. I know a lot of times I sit and I watch wrestling with my girlfriend or she'll come to local shows. And one of the things that she always points out on Damien Priest is Damien Priest's pants are just slightly too low. If he would have them cut just a little bit higher, it would accentuate his body so much better that it would really maybe enhance his character or enhance his phys his physical prowess. Um, and I can see from what that guy is that, you know, he has, I'm sure he owns plenty of long skinny jeans for his body and that's generally how he dresses. But also since he's continuing to shape himself as a, as a performer, he should wear things that accentuate his body to show off what he is and how he looks to the best of his abilities to be as toyetic as possible and entertaining to the people that see on TV because we're never trying to judge people based on how their bodies look, but based on the body that you're given at the time that you have it, there's also certain clothes that are going to fit you or accentuate your body and features better. And those are important things to play around with and learn and take feedback on. Um, so when someone says something, they're not trying to be hurtful to you. They just understand what your body looks like and how it might be able to be tweaked and look just a tad bit better. So that way you look stronger in a certain sense, accentuating your arms, your legs, your midsection, whatever you have going on for you. Yeah. I remember in AEW when uh, they had, when Brian Cage joined team Taz, they had a backstage promo and it was like the first time they did a backstage promo with, with Brian Cage and he was wearing like a black polo. And I remember everyone was immediately like, how dare they make this guy wear a shirt on television? He looks like he has 30 pounds less muscle because it's a dark yeah. colored shirt and it just covered everything. And so then lo and behold, every single time after that, he's in the backstage and he's got no shirt now. And he's just like standing there. It's like, yeah, because why would you cover any of that up? Yeah, it's one of those things where unless, unless what you're wearing has a purpose to your character, kind of like how Bobby Lashley comes out now and he has suits on, but Bobby Lashley is so well-dressed in his suits that it, it accentuates his physique and you understand and know that Bobby plays to his strengths, not saying that Bobby Lashley has a bad lower body, but he accentuates everything about his upper body. Mm. Just like Rick Rude did, Rick Rude always had his beautiful paintbrush pants, but he had this beautiful upper body that he accentuated and showed off, but he made sure to make his lower body important by making his tights so colorful and you always remembered what he was doing. And that's really important. I think that's why, um, you know, calling myself the six star booty. If I'm going to talk about my butt, 
I'm going to wear things to accentuate and do things to accentuate. So that way, if I'm talking about my lower body, I want my upper body to be in great shape, but I'm also going to wear things and do things to make you uh, look or try not to look at my butt. Yeah. So. Um, all right. And I'm going to go ahead and end on this one. I call it the touchy feely question of the podcast. It is your pure joy in wrestling. The thing, whether it be before, during, or after a match, that gives you the goosebumps and it makes you say, this is why I love wrestling. This is why I'm in this business. Um, I think the thing that's, that really gets me the most is when, when you have people come out that you love, like your parents or a friend that you haven't seen in years and they see you perform, they see you do absolutely what you love, what you breathe, what you die, what you bleed for, and you get a chance to perform to them and they take that time to come out and really commend you on what you're doing. After a match when I feel so excited um, and I have people there that I love, I almost get lost in the aspect of being JT energy because I start talking to those people and I just want to get lost in conversation with them instead of like thinking, Oh, the show's over. I need to tear down. I need to change out of my gear because I haven't seen those people for so long, but I feel so grateful that they took time out of their lives to come and see what I've done and what I'm trying to achieve with my life. And anytime I take a couple minutes online to put out, you know, a very, gratuitous or uh, like a gratitude style post every year when it comes to pro wrestling and you start seeing all those likes and hearts and shares and whatever come up like those mean a lot but when i have a chance to talk on the phone with my friends who i haven't talked to in a long time um not even over face not even over facetime just like talking audio wise and you can have a conversation just like we're doing tonight those are the things that I know I'm going to look back on in my life and I'm going to miss the most being able to interact and talk with those people. And when they come out to a pro wrestling show, even if we don't get to have a good lengthy conversation, those people are driving me more than they know to not only feel validated on the platform that I'm already at in independent professional wrestling, but giving me the drive to take the next steps to talk to the next company or set up my next uh, promo photo shoot or order my next set of gear that I think is going to take me to the next level. So the people that I've surrounded myself with in life have really brought the foundation I need to not have the quit inside me that sometimes can creep in there because I have plenty of people that they always let me know that they support, they know how much I love and they will always support my dream that I somehow someday realized that I wanted to chase and I'm still chasing for this crazy reason that I have no guarantee on. And it's my favorite thing that I'm doing. And I love being able to walk into my job and just let them know I'm here to make money for you in the best way possible and get some health insurance and uh, do great things for myself along the way. But the day that I'm going to be able to hand you my two week notice and say that I'm going to be a professional wrestler on TV because I have a contract now and I have to quit this job is going to be the best day of my life because I tell people I want to have a job so that way I can someday quit it because, you know, professional wrestling 
can hopefully someday pay my bills and I can pass on more knowledge into this business that's been passed through me so that I can help someone else live their dream the way that I've been given mine. Very nice. I love that answer. And uh, if you are one of JT's friends and you hear how much he's appreciative of you guys coming to see his show, uh, if you're one of his other friends who is the kind of person that says, hey, when's your next show? And you never actually go, go to the show. Uh, Because indie wrestlers deal with that a lot from people they know. (laughs) Hey, when's the next one? Yeah. Oh, I can't make it, man. I can't make it, man. Anyway, yeah. uh, thank you so much for being on. But please, before we finish, put yourself over social media, websites, anything like that. Absolutely. Um, so the most important things that I can talk about right now are my uh, my friend. One of the, I'm, I could put myself over right now if I wanted to, but I really don't um, want to. I just had a, a friend who's a photographer for Central Empire Wrestling come out to scw pro the other night his name is clint die and his family uh this past sunday night unfortunately had a house fire and we have been trying to raise money for his family these past two days and we have a goal of ten thousand dollars that we're trying to get to um and there's a gofundme i'm sure posted on every single form of my social media in some way shape or form that you can find probably especially twitter and facebook Um, so if you want to give money to me in some way, shape or form, that's great. That's cool. Um, and I appreciate that at DJ click and play on everything pro wrestling tees, whatever you want to do. Um, but someone like my friend Clint right now, his family is in more need than I am. And I want people to be able to give to someone like him and his GoFundMe page right now. So we can get his family back on their feet because, being able to give back in a way um, to people like him through professional wrestling. If I have an extra 10 bucks or an extra hundred bucks, that's what I would want people to do. So anybody listening right now, if you go to my social media and can donate any way, um, five bucks, it doesn't matter. I'm just trying to help him and his family out because they're in a much, um, they're in a, they're, they're in a good place because they have so much love and so many people helping them right now. But I also just want to get them back up because he's one of my favorite photographers on the Midwest professional wrestling scene. And he shows up to shows, he takes amazing pictures and he never asks for a dime. And he's the person that actually makes me feel like a superstar when he posts pictures and I get to share them with the world on my social media. So if you if you want to buy my stuff, if you want to reach out to me, I'm I love interacting online. Um, if follow my YouTube, check out the page. Uh, everything's at JT Energy DJ Click and Play. Um, but right now, if you can help my friend out, that'd be cool. That's all I ask. Um, interact with me online, DM me, whatever you need. I got cool stuff, but I want to help my friends out right now. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, sir, for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Hopefully someday in the future, I'll be back.